Anyways, um, we're really thankful that you're here with us today, and I want to continue um, in our um, series in Genesis. Um, we are going to be in chapter 12, and I want to remind you why we're doing this series. Uh, I grew up, almost every sermon was in the New Testament except for Nehemiah, because Nehemiah was really great when you needed to build a building, or you needed a good offering, or you needed to go start a new ministry. But we really didn't spend a whole lot of time in the Old Testament. And as I grew in my faith and as I studied for myself, I, I, there, was, there was a pivotal moment in my own faith and understanding of Scripture and understanding of this big story. And it was, the, it was when I committed that I'm just going to start reading the Bible from cover to cover um, repeatedly. And I knew a whole bunch of pieces and I could preach on a whole bunch of really good pieces. But there were so many times I was like, I just don't know how that fits. But this is what you're you're supposed to do, so I'm going to preach this. Uh, But when you really fall in love with all of Scripture, like it changes you. When when Scripture says that it is alive and it is able to transform and change us, uh, that happens certainly in the New Testament, but a lot of it happens in the Old Testament. And I was sharing with uh, Jeff, who's the lead pastor of uh, Hamilton Life Church, who's who we did the men's conference with, and they're going through Moses right now. And I saw that they were going through Moses. I was so happy to find someone else who likes to preach through the Old Testament. And, uh, and so like he did like half his sermon yesterday was on the Old Testament. So um, it, we both have come to the place to say you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old. And there are many faith traditions within Christianity that believe that you can't actually come to faith in Christ until you pretty much know most of the story. And so... My point in that, and the reason we're going through Genesis, um, is because this is foundational, and for most um, rabbis at the time, and for many who love Scripture and teach Scripture from beginning to end, if you need to understand something in the Old Testament, you can almost always go back to Genesis and find some kind of anchoring there for why the New Testament is the way that it is. So, I'm also wanting you to see four primary themes throughout Genesis, and, and today is such a huge one. Um, one of the themes we discussed when we looked at the beginning of the call of Abram, we, Abram is still Abram at this point, we have, he has not had his name changed to Abraham, and uh, we see that Abram marries Sarai, and we assume, we know that, that she is barren, which means Abram as the next you know, head of the legacy, someone who should marry and have children to continue the line of his father. Uh, we read that as in, that's just a shame that they got married and she was barren. And that creates its own commentary and there's a, its own message there. But when we went back and we looked at a midrash, if you remember, a midrash is are some of the oral traditions that have been passed down that eventually... Um, a, a rabbi would write them down and then they would make a scroll. We, in reading rash that accompanied scripture, and certainly in Jesus' day and even in those early believers following Jesus' resurrection, like they knew the midrash. They knew these other teachings in addition to these scriptures that we're talking about. And we found um, in the midrash that accompanied that teaching that Abram knew she was barren before he married her. And as we've gone through, and you know, I've mentioned Marty Solomon and the Baymont podcast. Um, if some of you have already jumped on and you're like, man, this is great stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, what, what we find is that he knew what he was getting into. He knew this would end 
his lineage, but here was someone who needed a kinsman redeemer and he married her. And it was in that moment that God entered Abram's story and says, I can do something with this guy because he puts, he places other people and above himself. And so that was one of the things we're going to see throughout Genesis is that God works through people who do actually love others like they love themselves. Then we saw a second um, principle for why Abram uh, in which Abram call, was called to go and to follow, and he was willing to go. But then we looked at another midrash, the book of Yashur, in which it is also widely accepted that this was hand-in-hand hand with the scriptures at the time, that Abram actually was in need of a rescue because we saw so many similarities to the New Testament here, because the king was afraid that Abram was going to be the one who to dethrone him. And so he began chasing after him um, from his birth. And for the first 10 years of Abram's life, he lives in a cave. He eventually moves off, goes back, and he lives with Noah and Shem for a period of time. And he learns about uh, you know, the creation story. And, and he learns about the flood and the Tower of Babel and all of those lessons we've been through. And then he comes back and he's found out. And God says, I want you to go to another place. So we found that... For Abram, he needed to answer the call to follow, but in that moment, he also needed a rescue. And if you're going to follow Jesus, these are two calls that will be on the heart of every person who follows Jesus. I need to follow you, and I need a rescue. You take either one of those away, you will not stay the course with Christ. If you don't feel the need for a rescue, you'll follow until it gets hard. If you don't accept the, the call to follow, you'll just be thankful all the time that Jesus died on the cross, but you'll never, you'll never do anything with it. And so we find in Abram these characteristics in which God works in his story and carries him through. Uh, but there's a third theme I told you I want us to see over and over and over again, and I think this is really crucial for us today, and that is that God is faithful even when we are not. We have a tendency to take these kind of great men and women of faith, we put them on a pedestal, and we say, just be like them. And then if you're like me, you're like, not happening. Like, it's not happening. I'm not them. I'm no Abraham. Are you kidding me? I'm, you know, I'm no Moses. Well, I, actually, I am. And so are you. And that's why we're going to share this story today, because sometimes these guys just screwed up. And when they screwed up, God was faithful to them even when they were not faithful to God, which is going to mess with some of your theology, uh, some of you in this room. But then another thing we're going to learn, and we're not going to really dive into this today, that fourth thing, the fourth reason I wanted to do this series through Genesis 12 through 50 is because what we see in Abraham is what we can see in ourselves is that even though you mess up, when you're willing to correct the course, God continues to work in your life. So, so many of us grew up in some kind of a tradition that said, do not mess up or God will be mad and God will come for you. That is not the story of Scripture. Now, there is a judgment. There is a, a narrow way that leads to life and there is a wide way that leads to death. So we are not erasing any of that. But what we see is a God who says, I am redeeming you. I have a plan for you. And to the very end, I'm going to work this out because I want you to be with me. And if you remember, as we walk through the story of the fall, 
we're we're going to look at another chiasm today when we saw found the chiasm in the fall story what we found is that the most important thing the author wanted us to see was that god was walking in the garden asking this very pivotal question he's asking us today where are you even today he continues to ask that question all right if you miss any of those you can go back and watch those online or listen to the podcast or i will probably continue like half the sermon by the time we get through this series is just going to be recapping right because i want you to see the whole um the whole series of events through this genesis um story all right genesis 12 we're going to begin with verse 4 it says so abram went as the lord had told him he was willing to follow And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time of the Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the, the Negev. Now, Before we move on, I want you to remember when we talked about the Tower of Babel, we've got a a time in which humanity is is mostly ignoring God and his call to spread out and fill the world, and they have gathered into this city, and they are building this tower. We talked about Nimrod a little bit last week, and they build this tower as a testament to the glory of humanity. And so he did that and he stepped in, not just to punish them, but to say, I want you to experience something that you will not experience if I let you continue on this path. And so I'm going to destroy this tower and I'm going to scatter these people. And in the scattering, there is still a chance you might still come back to the place in which I'm calling you. And so it was a little bit surprising that when uh, God says in the very beginning, I want you to spread out and I want you to move all over the place and I want you to head out and do all these things. uh, And for him to say, now I've got a land for you to go and to settle in because that seems like the exact opposite of what God was trying to tell him to do. And but what we see in Abram in the story in which he's following God's story, we see that he goes to a land and he pitches a tent rather than building a house. And we see instead of building a tower for himself, he builds an altar to the Lord. And as he comes in, he's continually moving. He is continually following the story as God has given it to him and the calling that he has placed on his life. Now, for this next part of the story, I want you to also listen and see if anything sounds familiar to any other popular stories that you would know from Scripture, especially from the Old Testament. And see if you find some really interesting coincidences between these. This begins in verse 10. Genesis chapter 12 says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Can you think of any other stories in the Old Testament in which there is a famine and someone decides to go sojourn down in Egypt for a while? All right, I got some head nodding. Who is it? Joseph, 
we have this incredible story of Joseph and how he ended up in Egypt and then there's this famine and he interprets the the king's dreams and he says this is what you need to do you need to store up all this stuff and eventually Joseph is responsible for the wealth and the land and all of the servants of Egypt and we know eventually how that story is going to go now this is not an unusual story this happened all the time people there was often a famine, and there was often a famine because it's a desert. They, they live in a desert. And in order to have food and to be able to grow crops and to have livestock, you've got to have water. And one thing that Egypt has that none of the rest of this area has is the Nile River. They have water, and they have plenty of it. It is the fertile crescent. It is the place in which things grow. And there's a reason that so much civilization developed out of this place. Because you got tired of living in the desert without tap water. I mean, you you didn't have anything. And so they would just eventually migrate to the areas where you could sustain life and sustain your family. In the midst of a great famine, Egypt was often the place that someone would go because they had resources and they had food and they had water. So this is not uncommon, like this only happened twice, this happens all the time, but it is an interesting part of the story. Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, famine was severe in the land. This is when the story gets interesting. He says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. What we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that according to Jewish tradition, Uh, She was among the most beautiful of any woman who ever lived. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Does that sound like another story anywhere? Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, "Why is this you have? What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go." And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Egypt funded what would be the nation of Israel even before Moses. Isn't that crazy? You see this kind of stuff over and over in the Old Testament, and it it kind of messes with the way you read the Bible when you start reading it this way. We tend to, this lullaby effect that we've talked about, we've read it so many times, we've heard the story so many times, we miss what it's really all about. And the question we come to, and the uncomfortable question that nobody preaches on was, what in the world was Abram thinking? Because Abram is not just a man of faith, like he is the man of faith. Everything in the rest of Scripture, it comes because of Abram. And that's hard for me when I'm trying to follow Christ and I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm no Abram. 
Do I just give up? Do I just stop? Do I just say, my past, my present, even some of the things I want for my future, God is not okay with. I'm sunk. And there are so many people that have heard that message, they have received that message, they have believed that message, and that is not the message from God. Now, a little bit of backstory on what was probably happening here. So he wasn't just pawning his wife off so that you know he would he would live. There is more to this story, and part of that we understand just based on just historical data of what life was like at this time in an ancient Near Eastern world. Now you've got to keep in mind Abram is the patriarch, and while we are a little different here in how we operate. Whatever the patriarch did affected the entire family. And it wasn't just your wife and your kids, but like everyone else, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, uh, everyone else, the patriarch had to look after them and his decisions took care of them. We saw that one of the main reasons that it was a big deal for Abram to leave and to follow God was because no one left. Because safety, security, life, legacy, wealth meant staying and inheriting from your father. But he left. But in this place, they are in this weird, terrible place where they are in the midst of a famine. He has this whole family he has to take care of. He's responsible for them all. And we've already seen on the heart of Abram is other people. We've already seen it. He doesn't just stop here and say, I only care about myself. His heart is for other people. Now, whenever you would send someone under your household when you were patriarch in order for them to be married... To court, and I think this is really a good idea since I have two daughters. Like if you wanted to court someone, you had to pay, right? So Alex is here, you know, Emma's uh, boyfriend. That meant Alex, like you'd bring me a check, like every time you came over. I really like this ancient Near Eastern uh, way of doing things, to be honest. So we can talk later and uh, tally up. But you would literally come and say, I want to court her here's a donkey <laughs> or, or whatever whatever else and the more beautiful the more desirable they were the more status they had the more you had to pay now so the idea is that in abram's mind he's like i've got to feed this whole family she is the most beautiful woman in the world here's what we're going to do all right so we're going to kind of set you out here as available and then they're going to come and pay to court you, but you know, no holding hands or anything, right? But you're going to let them take you on a date, and they're going to bring us all this stuff, and this is how we're going to feed our family, which is all good and fine until the person whose eye she has caught is Pharaoh, who doesn't really care so much for what he needs to do to court someone. He just decides she's now mine. We find a ton of lessons in this. I've brought up the Midrash several times before, and this is where I want to give us a warning. Uh, There's a lot we can get from these teachings, from these oral traditions that were passed down and placed into these Midrashes, and that a company is like a commentary to the story, but they're not actually scripture, so to speak. And we found some really helpful stuff. Um, We found some really helpful Midrashes, um, both for... The call of Abram, um, also just him marrying Sarah. But there's a midrash for this story. 
that would have accompanied this story, and it does what the, the, the text or, or what writers have a tendency to do, and we have a tendency to do today, is to take this story and say, that's not really the way it happened. So the Midrash says that Abram walks into Egypt, and in order to protect Sarai, he locks her in a chest. And he tries to smuggle her into Egypt so no one will see how beautiful she is. And just like today, if you tried to come into a country and you brought a big chest of stuff, they're going to want to know what's in it because they're going to tax you on it. And so the Midrash says that Abraham brings this chest in and they say, hey, we need to know what's in that chest um, so you can pay tax. Uh, what if they're, it's full of linens? He says, I will pay the tax as if the whole thing was full of linens. Well, what if it's full of pearls? I will pay the tax as if the whole chest is full of pearls. And eventually the tax collectors say, no, you are not coming in until we open this chest and we look and see what you have in there. And it is in that moment that he opens the chest and there is this just like blinding light comes out of it. I don't know. That's not really what happens. But, you know, she steps out, this most beautiful woman in the world. And now all the people around are like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay this guy off, get this girl, because he, she does not belong with a commoner like him. She belongs with a king. So they're going to pay him off and take her to Pharaoh. And that's how this story happens. Now what that this Midrash does is it, it makes Abram not look so bad, doesn't it? Like he was really trying to protect her. And it, make, it look, makes it look like him ending up or her ending up in, in Pharaoh's household as something that kind of protects both of their virtues and both of their you know, decision-making process in this. In fact, the, the Midrash goes on to say um, that while she was in there, um, she just kept rejecting Pharaoh until eventually God intervened and Pharaoh did not want to let her go, but eventually did let her go to protect her virtue. The reason that we have to listen and read these midrashes carefully is that is not what this story says. Sorry, could you say that again? Yeah, Siri's, Siri's into it today. Siri is into this. Siri is tracking right along. Way to go, Siri. You cannot transcribe my text messages, but you can follow along the sermon. That's great news. That is great news. So here's my warning to you. got a snort out of that one that was carry on so my warning on the midrash is this there are times that there are extra biblical materials that point us away from the real story because it's convenient we have to read these extra biblical sources very carefully and with the rest of the story in mind to see what is actually true and the reality is this is a struggle for all christians of all times in all places all the time what am I reading? What am I taking in? What am I hearing? Is this true? I don't think this Midrash is true. This is not how the story goes. And Abram has a plan. Interestingly, there is a chiasm here. And for our guests that are here today, if you're not familiar with a chiasm, a chiasm um, is a literary tool often found in poetry, um, used very much in ancient Eastern literature. Uh, and it is a structure of telling a story in the way of using repetition so that the repetition points to a center point. So you'll have a, a, a you know, part of the story, another part of the story, another part of the story, and then you'll have a, either a repeating of that story 
or you'll have a reversal of that story. And if you go to the middle of the mirror, you find what we discover as a treasure. And we've looked at a few of these chiasms in Genesis. They're actually found throughout the Old and New Testament in different types of literature. But we find a chiasm here that I want to show you, which may surprise you that this is the center of this story. Now, this chiasm is found in the larger context. It actually goes on through uh, chapter 13, verse 20. Um, But I want to go ahead and put that slide up and show you this chiasm. Uh, You'll see this is an ABCDDCBA chiasm. Okay? If we look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read that now the Lord had said unto Abram. But if we jump down to chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, we have a repeat. And the Lord said to Abram. They're mirroring each other. We go up to point B, chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Lot went with him, Lot his brother's son. We drop down to B, the mirroring is in chapter 13, verses 5 through 13. And Lot also, which went with Abram. We see a mirroring here. Go up to point C. Chapter 12, verses 8 through 9, he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and the Lord, uh, he built, <laughs> this is terrible, uh, this is terrible, anyway, build, builded an altar, this is an old translation, super old translation, unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. We drop down to point C, and he went on his journeys from the south to Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, and to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Another mirroring. Point D, chapter 12, verse 10. Abram went down into Egypt. Uh, Chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Abram went up out of Egypt. And we come to the center of our chiasm. And interestingly, it is this whole thing that Pharaoh found Sarah beautiful and took her. Now why in the world would the author of this portion of Genesis, presumably Moses, Say, you know what? If you're going to get anything out of this story, get this thing about Pharaoh taking Sarah. And in this chiasm and in this story, it leads to the question, do these actions or does this part of the story honor God? I know a lot of faithful people in this room. There are a lot of faithful people in our church. Are our actions always honoring to God? Of course not. Do you ever feel that when you come to the moment that you know you've dishonored God, that like you're in big trouble? Maybe, maybe not. But you've probably felt like God is probably mad at you. Right? He might even have it in for you. The reason that bad bad thing happened to you in your life may actually have been because you just didn't honor God. And I'm not going to say that that's not true, but I'm going to say our minds jump there with an expectation that God is a transactional God who says, as long as you do good, I will do good. As long as you do bad, I will do bad to you. And I'm just going to tell you that is not the story of Scripture. God is a God of grace and mercy. He is not a transactional God. And yet every single one of us at some point in our lives have believed God is a transactional God. Or someone has told us, you screwed up, it's over for you. And you believed them, and that is not the story of God we find in the Bible. It's not. I believe this is the center of the story because Moses is trying to say, Abram, 
who is among the most faithful men who ever lived, still messed up. Now, in his mind, he, did, he wasn't going to mess up this bad. Like, now his wife is going to be married to Pharaoh. Like, he thought, and listen, we're going to get all these dowries in to date her, and then she's going to just pass on all of them because, you know, hey, she's got me. And then we're going to have all this money, and we're going to be good. And men, we just don't make good decisions around women. I'm just going to tell you, we make bad decisions around women. This is a bad decision. This is a bad decision. No, yeah, no elbowing anybody <laughs> right now either. All right. This is what I want. This is what I want to leave you with. All that midrash. If you kind of tuned in and you're like, "Man, that's a great story," and then you didn't hear the rest, you ignore the midrash. There are midrashes that are very helpful. There are midrashes that try to justify bad behavior because we want to. We somehow have to protect the reputation of our forefathers. Sometimes our forefathers messed up, and we need to say they messed up. You know, God's still faithful even when they're unfaithful. So this leads us to the question, does this honor God? I think most of us and every woman in the room is absolutely going to say uh, no. This is a bad idea from the beginning. Uh, this is what God wants How God wants my husband to act. you got to be kidding me. I'm out. I'm out of there. He can find somebody else. Often in my life I have found when I create a plan that I think is a good plan, it sounds like a good plan until the one thing that could go wrong does go wrong. That's why I'm tempted when I'm working on my car to jack it up and not put any braces under it and do, do what I need to do real quick. And you realize you lost a leg or whatever, you know. There's so many times we create good plans. And I'm sure in Abram's mind, he's thinking, this will work out perfectly. I'll protect her. I will not let things go too far. But we need resources. I need to feed my family. Uh, we need this right now. Sarai likely follows his lead in the sense of, listen, we've got to take care of these people too. But honoring God often means that good plans end up being bad plans. We have to choose between good plans and we have to choose between God's plan. Now, thankfully, God intervenes and we find that God is faithful to Abram and Sarai even when Abram himself wasn't faithful to God. And then we have this interesting story, which is a story, a conversation for another time about uh, these plagues that enter in to Pharaoh's household. And then he is so overcome eventually by the plagues to say, go and take all my stuff with you. That is such an incredible parallel to, to the Exodus story. When we try to circumvent God's plan, it never works out the way we hope it will. Never. I can tell you from experience. Never works out. And even if it seems to work out, you carry within you a heaviness knowing this was not God's plan. And that heaviness is really hard to overcome. It's really hard. If you are serious about following Jesus, that heaviness will weigh you down Repentance unburdens us that you repent enough times and you realize, I just don't want to be burdened like that anymore. 
what we see in this story and in so many other stories is that God is still faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. Now, this is not, this is not some kind of universalism that just says it doesn't matter what you do, you can do whatever you want, you can believe what you want, you can just do anything. Now, scripture is very clear that He does not accept those who are not passionately following Him. Like you don't have to follow Him, but He's not going to accept you unless you're passionately following Him. This is not a cry that He's going to be faithful to you even if you snub your nose at Him your entire life. No, that is, He is faithful to humanity even when humanity snubs their nose. But we as individuals, we come to a decision to say, I, I need a rescue and I'm going to follow, or I don't really need a rescue and I don't really want to follow. Like we have to make that decision. But once you've made that decision, you are going to mess up. And God is still going to be faithful to you. We see that in the story of Abram. We're also going to see that in the story of Moses. <laughs> when Moses is like, no, not me. Man, I can't even talk good. And he says, well, I'm going to bring Aaron alongside of you. I'm going to let Aaron help you. You see it in the story of David, and gosh, probably the story of David more than anyone in Scripture. Here's a man after God's own heart who was so unfaithful. And yet God remained faithful to him. But yet David is also the one who repented and said, create in me a clean heart because this one is done. We see that in the life of Solomon. We often put Solomon up on this pedestal and we say he was the greatest ever, the wisest man who ever lived. And yet when we read Samuel's words of a corrupt, evil king, Solomon fits every single description. But he will repent as well. We're going to see that in the life of Israel. We see that throughout the Old Testament in the life of Israel. They are unfaithful and God is faithful to them. He calls them back over and over again. We're going to see that in Peter when Peter denies him. And yet God says, and Jesus says to him, listen, you're going to deny me later, but still I'm building my church on you. God is faithful even when we were unfaithful. We're going to see that in the story of Thomas when he's like, I'm not sure. I've got to stick my finger in your wound because I'm not really sure you're actually a risen Christ. Because you know what? People don't just come back from the dead. I mean, I saw, you know, Lazarus and all. But that just doesn't happen more than one time in anybody's lifetime. He just welcomed Thomas. Just welcomed him. You see it in Paul's life greatest prosecutor and persecutor of all Christianity and he met him on a road called him to follow him and he did I see it in my life over and over again I want to be faithful but I fail God is faithful to me and it makes me want to be faithful to him God is working a plan. He is faithful to His promise to redeem the world, even to the unfaithful. If I'm going to leave you with one thing, it would be this. Abram made mistakes, but he remained faithful over the long haul. Can that be our story? I want that to be my story. I want that to be your story. What do you need to let go of today? You've screwed up. You've messed up. You've dishonored God. You've not followed. You knew maybe one time you did. And you're like, man, I'm just too far gone. No, you are not. You need to let go of what has been and embrace what could be. What do you need to forgive yourself for?
Are you carrying around a burden that says, I'm a bad, I'm a bad guy. I can't be forgiven for this. You need to forgive yourself because God is willing to forgive you. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Some of us need to walk out of this room today forgiving ourselves for the things we've done in the past. You know people who won't let you do that. They'll bring your past up over and over again, and maybe you need to distance yourself from those people. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you need to forgive somebody else. Maybe you need to go to someone and ask them to forgive you. If you're choosing to be a faithful person, what step of faithfulness do you need to take today? There's something. A step is wonderful. A shuffle is wonderful. Just leaning in the direction is movement. A step do you need to take today? And a step of faithfulness to a God who's been telling the story from the beginning of time with you on His mind because He is faithful.